0: Hello and welcome back to the Robert A. Heinlein book club. In this episode, I will uh, give you some of my thoughts on the year of the jackpot, um, which was first published in Galaxy in 1952. It later appeared in The Menace from Earth. And wow, this is a really interesting story. Um, like with uh, the puppet masters, I do get the sense that, that uh, Heinlein's been, was sitting on his hands on a few themes he wanted to explore and, and finally got to explore them and this one really is 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 pretty interesting there are there are even like um not quite trans issues there's issues of trans uh cross dressing but uh you know it's it's moving in a direction I, as we know later in in Heinlein's career uh you know sexuality trans issues things like that are going to be much more you depra- know much more um a part of his story. Of course, he wrote a, a essentially a, a trans novel with uh, with uh, I'll fear no evil. So um, this one, though, you know, in some ways, it's it's uh, um, just a simple sci fi story. Um, but uh, it's there's a lot of interesting things going on in this this tale. Um, basically, we just have two characters here. Uh, one named Mead, which he just. And this woman is from the first page of the story, heavily sexualized. Remember, Mead was the same name he had for um, Mead Stone. Remember the older daughter. Um, so well, he's kind of using a name pretty quickly here, um, but that's okay. He he must not like that name. Um, Pothafar Breen is the name of the of our main character, uh, who is a. A statistician, a mathematician, or so, um, and he is f- basically interested in in like like loony years. Um, there's different languages for this, but essentially, um, times when humanity uh, sort of flips out, uh, and, and like Lemmings this becomes sort of a. a it spreads like there's almost like a virus of loony crazy behavior um you might um, think of course of the call of cthulhu um if you've read that story in which uh the awakening of cthulhu is associated with uh a bunch of weird behaviors throughout the world um you know particularly dreams and artistic achievements and things like that um now Now, in the background of the story, uh, our main character, anyways, uh, Breen, suggests that there were several periods in which this happened, you know, in history, Uh, kind of cycles. Again, you might want to think of Nightfall as another story that sort of has this idea, although there, civilization collapses entirely, so there's really no memory of the previous cycle. Um, If you remember that story, that's where, it's only because there's three stars in the system or something, it's only dark once every, you know hundred years or so so when that happens people flip out maybe it's every thousand years or whatever um but people flip out civilization collapses and has to rebuild itself um, this is uh you know i the the periods of time i don't know if they match up historically uh with real if, or if this is a real historical phenomenon but there, there are like the dancing craze there's periods like the 17th century, which are particularly a little bit loony. You have the Reformation. So I think there's something to this idea that there are moments in, when, when history kind of turns to the less rational. Um, and, and I'm fine with that idea. I, I think it's, it's kind of an interesting one to explore. Um, I don't know if it's historically justifiable. There's always like better explanations for these things uh, from the historical records. But uh, in, in a sense, as a science fiction idea, this is really, really interesting. Um, because there's no real explanation for it. Right. Um, not, but as a statistician, our main character here, Breen connects this to, uh, all these other trends. So he's making these, uh, these, uh, correlation. Well, correlation's is the wrong term, right? Like, um. No, maybe it is the right word like correlation but without necessarily a connection or a link between them or at least not an apparent link but if you have enough correlations it starts to uh, become hard to avoid like mathematically so breen thinks these are real connections in a way they just can't be explained uh, scientifically but that doesn't matter because the correlations exist they, they, you see on the actuarial tables you see it in the data so this is like a big data kind of um, story um, I. In a way, the fact that this is all in the head of just one statistician—I guess he works for a company—that um, that maybe helps from this. But basically, he's kind of an amateur investigator in uh, in these weird behaviors uh, that are that are taking place. Um, so he's uh, so most of the story is kind of about this. Now, at the end of the story, we learn that there's. Uh, you know, kind of we get to the end of the world and it seems like actually the sun is is dying or changing in some fundamental way that's going to change humanity. So there's like a cosmic cause of it. Um, but everything's out of humanity's control essentially throughout the story. So it's we're basically in an, an apocalyptic novel, but it's like. We, it's not post-apocalyptic. We just see the apocalypse come upon us, and the harbingers of this apocalypse is all this behavior that Breen is is curious about and documenting. So like, we have a growing dread throughout the story, and, and I think that is uh, fairly well done in this particular um, uh, tale. Um, now, our first scene here is... Um, is Breen, he's out and about, it's, it's set in L.A., he's out and about and he sees um, Mead. just he doesn't know who she is yet, but she sees the, the other character in the story start to take off her clothes, just out there on the street, out in the bus uh, bus stop. Um, and there's also like, uh, like cross-dressers who are like, like, kind of threatening and assaulting, not not really assaulting, but kind of um, e- egging on a cop trying to get her to be arrested for this. The cops just sort of covered up, though, because the cops have been told not to arrest people for these incidences because there are a lot of this going around. So Breen watches this um, and then you Know, goes and helps her out, covers her up, and takes her out to lunch uh, or something, or takes her out to like a coffee shop or, or someplace like that and interviews her. Um, and that's how the story begins. Now, presumably, she's beautiful because uh, Breen falls for her right away. Uh, he's kind of middle aged and a little pouchy. They make jokes about his, his stomach. He's, you know, he's being a little fat. He's, uh, maybe not kind of our image of a conventional hein- heinleinian hero but uh Meade definitely is our image of of a heinlein babe uh the kind of thing we've seen uh many of them and now i'm going to think about her whenever i read uh, the rolling stones i think about Mead being being a kind of a, a an avid like a maybe a an al- alternate universe version of, of this this character it's just uh um, what's what's her last name by the way, um, I forget. Um, it'll come to me, maybe. I don't know, maybe it, it's a mention, I'm sure. So anyway, um, he takes her basically to interview her and he, he's basically collecting data. He's collecting information. So his interest in her first is, is mostly academic. And he wants to know how she felt when she did this. And she's, of course, very shocked that she took off her clothes. She faints at one point when she realized what she's doing. But she says like she felt this urge to do it. She felt this desire to do it and it felt good. It felt like something she wanted to do, like she didn't have a choice. And then Breen explains that you're not the only one who's had this happen to. It's happened like hundreds and hundreds of times across the city and across the country, even more times. There's a lot of documented cases of this and there's other bizarre things going on. And he gives examples such as um, someone it trying to get a patent on a device that will turn the earth so they can warm the Antarctic. And then he sold futures uh, like real estate futures on Antarctica. I mean, it's bizarre in two ways. One is the whole patent idea and the whole technology and the pro, you know, this idea of turning the earth totally bizarre. But then the fact that he's able to convince people to like apparently hundreds of people to buy land in Antarctica, uh, that's bizarre. Um, there's like uh one one example he gave is of a whole of a, of a man suing a whole town for for basically seducing his wife uh or for like you know wh- whatever that uh civil 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 case uh civil complaint is I had to look it up uh alienation of affection is the is the legal claim that's uh that's there like you can sue someone for like sleeping with your spouse if they like lose if it ruins their if your your relationship, I'm not sure that's the case. If you can still make these complaints anymore, but at least in Highline's time, I think it was a, a fairly common type of uh, civil procedure. But this guy like sues the whole town for this. Why did the whole town like sleep with her? Did the or is it just like he thought she, she's. Re- She's giving her affection to the town rather than him. I don't know. It's not fully explained. But basically, Breen's interpretation of all this is that everyone's going batty. Everyone's going nuts. And the, the taking off your clothes is just part of that. It's not even the biggest aspect of this. It's just uh, um, a maybe a more visual and titillating part of the story. Of you know, From page one of the story, we have someone taking off his, uh, her clothes. Um, so definitely something that Highland wants to... Reflect on. Um, Now the increase in in cross dressing is also mentioned as another as more sign of of the Earth going around the bend a little bit. Now, you know, make that uh, what you will. I I think Heinlein, if he was born today, would definitely be an ally of of the LGBT community. Uh, He, you know, certainly expressed uh, a sexual libertarianism. Throughout his work, and he's, um, but he's still of his time, right? So that that comes with certain presumptions uh, and assumptions about things. But apparently there's an increase in that too. So there's all sorts of, of these things. He calls them curves all the time. And, and he talks about cycles, but he often talks about curves being the connection between things like um, fashion and uh, uh, religious behavior maybe or war even. So that's, that's a really fascinating thing to take all this historical data. As, as a historian, it's interesting to me anyways, to take historical data on behavior like this and, and see if there is sort of this like fin de siecle kind of sentiment. I mean, we have this idea in, you see it in historical scholarship, is that like the end of century being, being periods where people get a little um, off kilter a little bit, right? The turn of the 20th century had a lot of weird ideas. It's the birth of cultural modernism. It's... Uh, you know, and of course, that's followed by World War One. Shortly followed after that by World War Two and the Great Depression. So, um, but some people have looked back and said there are other like end of century moments, like millenarian movements appear at those times, at least in the West when they have that that, that concept of the of the, the calendar based on Christianity. But it'd be interesting to see if you have similar phenomenon in other other cultures. Uh, I just finished reading a rereading actually, um, Jeffrey Park. Uh, Parker's global crisis, which, of course, tries to make ecological, environmental interpretations of why the, eight, the 17th century was, was a little baddie. Um, and he, he, he sees climate change as kind of the, not the only cause of all this, but certainly a baseline cause of, of that. So um, anyways, Breen uh, eventually starts dating me. They end up together. They eventually marry by the end of the story. So um, they, they become a couple by the end. I think they don't actually go to a priest. They just sort of marry on their own, you know, personally, because the world's coming to an end. And that's what Breen sort of figures out as he's collecting the data, is that this craziness is going to peak out in 1952, the year that the story's set in, the year that it takes place. Um, and at some point, um, you know, Insanity is just going to break out and and it's going to be like like a nightfall moment or or something like that. Now, he he explains this as saying that people are lemmings. He uses this metaphor a lot in the story saying, um, you know, people are essentially products of statistical correlations. And they do things not being aware of why they do do such uh, things. And, and from a psychological standpoint, this is, of course, fascinating. Uh, we know from social psychology that people behave differently in crowds. We have uh, the 20th century had a lot of writing and sociology and psychology, studying the behavior of crowds and groups. And Heinlein's not making this up. Uh, you know, there's a lot of anxiety at this time about how people behave. And of course, um, some of the stuff I've read about fascism emphasizes that um, fascists p- took this stuff really seriously, too, because they, they, they've emphasized the irrationality of crowds and groups. And therefore, large political movements were similarly irrational. And it's also something they embraced. Part of their critique of the Enlightenment was an embrace of the irrationality, of, of the fundamental irrationality of, of man. Um, and war being the, like the premier example of that. Now this story has nudism uh, churches where people are, are nude, um, kind of like cultist behavior, um, like you had like the, I guess, you know, you think back to maybe the 18th century to like the Venetian masquerades, maybe that's kind of, you know, it's kind of eyes wide shut kind of, uh, behavior in these religions as described in this story. Cross-dressing is, is growing, too, as and, and well as other bizarre behaviors. Um, and he thinks eventually this is just going to lead into a breakdown of, of society. So they decide to go and protect themselves and they move off into the desert living by themselves. Um, but then there's like environmental and ecological disasters as well, like, like, um, like a drought, like earthquakes. And things like that um but they're basically trying to hide it out hide out from the crisis um that's their their plan they they kind of go and live in a camp in a cabin but they're not immune from the disasters that come because eventually there is a nuclear war so we're able to get this news through like the radio and through Breen keeping up on things and um You know, a war breaks out between Russia and the United States. There are even Russian troops that Breen is fighting and. It's all really, you know, it's just kind of all his predictions come true that the world is going wild. Um, Now, where this kind of enters into uh, another level, what I don't quite know how to interpret is that is this is all these are all harbingers of the end of the world. Right. So we have a story about survivalism. We got nudism. So we got these Heinlein kind of tropes. And then we have the end of the world, which is not something that Heinlein wrote about that much. I, I think, it, um, you know, he has this future history idea. So for him, you know, there's always kind of got to be a, a day after um, for the story to move on. Not in this one. In this one, it's pretty clear that the world's coming to an end through some kind of solar um, supernova, I think, as is, is what it's implied to be, like a sunspot's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's going to supernova. And then therefore, everyone's behavior was just like um, a product of, I guess, cosmic waves or something coming from from the Earth. So it kind of, uh, what, I, what I don't like about this, that's one aspect of the story I don't like, is it kind of takes away from this idea of a cyclical kind of period of like a dancing mania kind of periods in people, you know, in in the world. The, the Call of Cthulhu idea of when Cthulhu awakens, all the artists and dreamers kind of go nuts. I like that idea. I don't like the idea of it just being a harbinger of the end of the world because it kind of makes it all pointless, right? What was the point of anything in the story, really? It's just, you know, I never saw that Melancholia movie. Maybe I should at some point. Maybe there's something that can be said about that, uh, you know, about that coming to terms with the end of the world. But it's all very abrupt. It's just sort of uh, you see the supernova coming on the story ends. Presumably the Earth only has moments to live at that point, maybe eight minutes. I don't know how long it would take a supernova blast to reach Earth from the sun, but I, th- I heard it's eight minutes for, for light to reach us. So that's that's how much future is left after the story. I don't think you needed that. I'd, I think it'd be more interesting kind of like, you know, everyone comes out at the other end of this. The world's really messed up because of nuclear war. Maybe... It's worse than previous periods, previous years of year of the jackpot, which is the name that's given for these periods of insanity. Uh, wouldn't have been as devastating because you didn't have nuclear weapons, um, but now you do. And and it makes the world, it sets civilization back, but you know there's still something in the future. Um, but anyways, obviously this makes it a one-off tale that doesn't really connect to any of Heinlein's other works. Um, what... Another thing I want want to say about this is I really, if you remember a while back, I was frustrated with one of Heinlein's short stories, which seemed to me just uh, calling back to his old kind of Superman uh, ideas. And that story I'm thinking of is is called Golf. Um, Now, that was an exception, I think. I, I think the astounding kind of narrative that he was pushing in the 1940s, he's over. He's not doing that anymore. His, his characters are more grounded. Now, does he change? I mean, Lazarus long, definitely comes back. We know that. Um, so there are some of those characters that might reappear, but we, we have much more like Hazel stone type characters, competent, but not supernatural. That's not, not superhuman in some way. Not, not humanity, not H plus, not transhumanists, just competent and skilled, much more like star Trek type characters, right? Of course, Star Trek has H-plus all over the place, but your main line Star Trek characters are are human. They're essentially human. They're super rational, of course, and super competent, but but they're, they're explicable in the genome we have today. We don't need a adapted genome to understand it. Golf needed that. Golf had that um, idea. And, of course, we have other stories like uh, Lost Legacy that do that, really quite a lot waldo is one of those um yeah you know my feeling about those if you've been listening to the, this podcast and what i like about this story is it doesn't require all that all we have as our hero is is a really just of an amateur statistician he's, he's got a job but he's he spends his spare time trying to connect these data points and finding connections between things. And there are people that do that kind of weird work. You can, you know, I'm sure if you search on YouTube, you find all sorts of long video essays exploring all sorts of minutiae of, of, of life. He's just sort of a nut. He just happened to be right in this case about the connection, but he's never able to explain it because he's only a statistician. All he can see is the curve. He can't uh, understand it all. And the explanation is never really given. I guess it's just sun waves are, are causing it, but that doesn't explain the previous waves of this the previous years of the jackpot because those weren't supernovas i, I wish I, there was a little bit uh more detail about those historical moments um but that's really all my only complaint here i, I think the the second half of the story is basically uh breen and uh, mead living out in the woods around that one in the desert i guess they're living out in the desert in a cabin um and then they're they're trying to get away from it all but they get they either get news on it or there's that moment the russians kind of get in their face and they have to be shot by i think it's breen shoots them and they get married and they they, there's no one around so they just pledge themselves to each other that's kind of nice it's it's fine um the early part of the story is really engaging, I think, where you just have this kind of nut job kind of tr- making these connections. But obviously there's something there because he's got the data to back it up. It's just like what is causing it is the mystery when it kind of I don't know, just becomes a, more of a, of a survivalist story. I guess it's a little less interesting to me. But by and large, super awesome uh, um, story. Really worth reading. I mean, obviously, in capitalism, we have waves of of crises, right? Declines in the economy, you know, boom and bust cycles, all that. And Marx explains that. You don't need anything supernatural to explain that. It's just how capitalist economies work, right? That's how the business cycle works. It's declining rates of profit or, or monopolization or, you know, crises caused by by imperialism or something. It's just the, you know, Marxist theory has an explanation for all this stuff. And, and I suppose even liberal e- economists have explanations for the business cycle that, that work too. But, um, so you have this stuff in the real world. I, I think Heinlein's not that interested in real world explanations for these things. And I think it's more fun to do sort of what he does, and especially when he connects that to other bizarre behaviors because we do see historical examples of this. So in general, we have plenty examples of social contagion. The one I know a little bit about was uh, the dancing mania of the, I think it was, is it the late Middle Ages? Um, Or things like that, Um, where we have witch to the witch movement uh, of the similar time period. You know, there's, I've heard about, I don't know if there's any evidence to back this up, but like these waves of suicide for instance, so um, crime waves, uh, riotous behavior. I think it comes down to the sociology of groups, and to what degree do we put our faith in? The, uh, to what degree do we believe humans in groups tend to be irrational? And what you know? And to what degree do we think people maintain their rationality even in group contexts? Um, so I, I think this story could have done without actually. With the it doesn't need the science fiction aspect at all. It Doesn't need the sun exploding at all to make it interesting. To make it an interesting story, just make it about social contagion, and that'd be that'd be uh, nice enough. But I guess that's my overall thoughts about this uh, story. It's good. It's it's um, it's one definitely worth checking out. Um, I don't I don't know how famous it is uh, among Heinlein's work. It's this is the first I've ever heard of it as far as I remember, but, uh, but uh, check it out. I think it's, it's worth it, and it's fun. It's got nudity in it, too, so we're always on the lookout for that in Heinlein stories. It seems like whenever he's writing adult fiction, he always tries to stick in naked people. If he can, um, he's, he's limited in his juveniles of what he can do. Um, so next... Next up, we'll be moving on to 1953, and we'll be looking at uh, Starman Jones, which is the next juvenile. And I know almost nothing about this story, so unlike a lot of the other juveniles, I've never even, I never even—I really—I knew the title, and that's about it. I think just from the back of the book, kind of description is it's about a, like a Midwest farming boy who wants to go to the stars. So, kind of an inverse of Farmer in the Sky. Like Farmer in the Sky was a. a a technically adept urban kid who becomes a, a homesteader so we'll do a couple episodes on that and then we'll have uh two short stories project nightmare and Skylift. um so like i said before we're quickly running out of stories here there's just a handful left at this point um but and i know nothing about those so for the next two weeks it's going to be new um It's all going to be new to me, so uh, maybe not to you, but uh, please let me know what you think of The Year of the Jackpot. If you like it as much as I do, please share your thoughts. If you have any feelings about this type of story, this kind of pre-apocalyptic storytelling. Um, I haven't, I think I saw a couple Outer Limits episodes that do this. Uh, You know, I know about Melancholia, but I've never seen it. I heard that movie's good. Um, Maybe I should watch that. But anyways, that's, uh, that's going to be it for now. So thanks for listening, and I will see you next time.